Yes, this is what I had to come with because my Bible's somewhere. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Hallelujah. All praise, all honor, all glory belongs to you this morning, Lord Jesus. Amen. And I thank you, Lord, that even through praise and worship and through the offering and even through the announcements, you just confirm your word. I stand in awe of you this morning because you are a good God. I stand in awe of you this morning because you are a gracious God. And you've chosen a vessel like me to bring your word this morning. This vessel is broken. This vessel on the outside seems put together, but on the inside, Lord, you know me. And this morning as I come before you, and as we just bring your word, Father, let it be to your praise, to your honor, and to your glory. Let there be nothing of me. Let it all be to your praise, to your honor, and to your glory. Heavenly Father, it is an awesome task. It is an awesome task. And this I cannot do on my own. I need you. I need you, Holy Spirit. Yes. Come down, Holy Spirit. Yes. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are so evident and present in this place this morning. Yes. I speak Jesus into this place. I just want us, as we sit this morning, to speak the name of Jesus. You can whisper it. You can shout it if you want to, but I just want us to speak the name of Jesus just for 10 seconds. Because that name is above every other name. That name is as ointment poured forth. Jesus, 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 you're all we need. You're all we need. You're all we need. Nothing else, nothing else matters. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Your name is above every other name. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so you're going to cue the music, but this morning I don't want to bring an everlasting gospel. But I pray that that which the Lord wants to share with you this morning is going to be dropped in your spirit. I pray that there, if there be any offenses, that you'll forgive me. I pray that you'll take the meat and spit out the bones. I pray that you'll take the milk for nourishment if that's where you're at this morning. It's an awesome task. Hey. I told Bevan this morning, I went from 10,000 to 6,000. I don't know how many words I've got here this morning, but please allow me this morning to practically apply, which I have had the privilege, the privilege to learn in expository teaching. I tell you, the word of God is rich, and I don't want to dwell too much on that and get too excited about that before I let you know where we're going today. So today I want to take you back in time, way back. 
<laughs> Let's go to Genesis 2, verse 15 to 18. I'm going to skip over some. Please allow me to use my Bentley. Come on, yeah. Come this on. is my Bible. It is one of the Bibles that I have, and I thank God that He's blessed me with so many because, wow, I've become greedy for God's Word. Amen. So, Genesis, and I don't, you know, when I, when, I, when, I, when I listen to the expository teaching, this morning, for me, this was one of those preachings where I stood in front of the Lord and I had to say, Lord, this is not about Deirdre. It's not Isa Jesus. Yeah. Hey. Hey? It's not Nasa Jesus. But it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. Mums, I salute you this morning. Women of God, I salute you this morning. You are strong. You are stronger than you think. And you're going to see whilst I, whilst I attempt to take you through what the Lord has shared with me. And if there's going to be tears so be it. And if there's going to be conviction, so be it. Genesis 2 verse 15 to 18. I'm going to skip over some of the verses um, like where God told Adam to <laughs> to um, gave him the first commandment that he actually gave to him. But um, you'll see eventually why. Genesis 2 verse 15. We all know the scripture. It says the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. I've underlined in my Bible, garden of Eden to work it and keep it. I take my hat off to our pastors, to those that preach the word, teach the word, Grins. Clint, Pastor Clint, Pastor B, because this was not an easy task. It's not an easy task. But God. Verse 16 is what, it's the first commandment he gave, which says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die verse 18 then the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone now remember God made everything before this right and the sixth day he rested and everything was good this was the first time he said it's not good. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now allow me because I, 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 I actually highlighted it. So if you look at 2 verse 15 to 16 in this Bentley it says, the overall picture of Eden presented in the preceding verses suggests that the park-like garden is part of a divine 
सेंचुरी सेंचुरी सेंटिफिकेशन पार्क दैट थॉट the man is put in the garden highlighted to work it and keep it the term work is the hebrew term uh, i hope i didn't i went through so many pronunciations i um, might forget how it was but i'm going to just say abad right denotes preparing and tending and keep the hebrew word for keep is shamar and it adds to that idea since this command comes before adam sinned so if any man thinks right now ladies you need to say a big amen for this if any man thinks that you are not to work because that was not a this was after you sinned but this is a command before the fall of man so i'll get back to the work part <coughs> it did not come as a result of sin nor is it something to be avoided productive work is part of god's good purpose for man in creation it talks about later where the same verbs are used together for the priest the levitical priesthood in the tabernacle for them to where it's in the sense of ministering or serving so listen i asked the lord this i said lord i don't want to preach a conventional mother ra ra yes we are now mothers and you are definitely part of god's plan and part of god's purpose ladies do not ever forget that any lady here and so are the men I said Lord I want to give a word that is from your throne room not just for the mothers not just for the fathers not just for men but even for our very little ones our teenagers included because that who's got that who got that who God is he's an all-round person and he is no respecter of persons The man's role is to be not only a gardener in these terms, right? Or a cultivator, like Miles Monroe calls them. But also a guardian. As a priest, he is to maintain the sanctity, there's that word again, of the garden as part of a temple complex. I'm not going to go to where he commanded the man no way did he command the lady about the thing so we'll get to that part too okay follow me we said it's not good for a man to be alone now miles mandra puts puts it this way he says all in one meaning man species mustn't be all in one body and that's why when you get to where the first marriage covenant was performed adam said this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and she shall be called woman <laughs> men are you 
next to your wife this morning, you better look at her and say, Whoa, man. <laughs> say, Whoa, because that is God's daughter that is sitting next to you. Amen. Another word that we can use for woman is womb man. Because that's the difference that we have. We are people that have wombs, right? And there's many things that are cultivated and nurtured through our wombs. Because you were taken out of a man. This morning I'm going to go to a very, because I read one of my books. Um, I've got a gazillion books and I'm asking the Lord to make me read faster. I got this book from a very special, I call her my prophetess. Um, because every day the words she sends me are just so from the Lord. She gave it to me for my birthday and I took it off the shelf the other day and I said, let me start reading this book. It's a book by Francine Rivers, which is called Lineage of Grace. And as I open up, it talks about these many women, but the first woman that it speaks about is Tamar. And I said, I'm interested in this lady. I want to know what happened here. So next scripture I'm taking you to is Genesis 37 and 38. Because some theologians say uh, Genesis 38 is not supposed to be there. Because it's one of those stories that we don't want to read. But let me take you from Genesis 37 to 20, verse 26 to 27. It says, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Now, we know this is the nice story. You know, this is the one about Joseph and Joseph getting to, to sold. And then God, we always want to talk about the plan and purpose that God had for, 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 for Joseph and how this was such a, a, a good story. That's one of those feel-good stories. And his brothers agreed. Judah suggested he and his other brothers sell instead of kill Joseph. Now we all know the account of Joseph. Like I said, he had the technicolored coat. He ran away from Potiphar's wife. Um, and that's a whole story in Genesis 39, 37, 39. But in the middle of this account, there's a story about Judah and his waywardness. And Judah going outside of what his forefathers, Abraham, had commanded him and gone and looked for a Canaanite woman, had a Canaanite, had a Canaanite uh, uh, friend as well. We'll get to that story later. Actually, I don't like to call it a story. It's an account. Because it's true. This is what happened. So um, he, Judah, uh, went to Cana. He met his wife. We don't really know what. I, I, I tried to see if I could find his, 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 his wife's name. But I just know he, uh, there's a name, Shua, which I think was her dad's name. Um, they had three sons. One was Ur, which was Tamar's first husband. One was Onan, Tamar's second husband. And Sheila, whom Judah refused to give to Tamar in marriage because... His first, sons had, his first two sons had died. I think he was thinking, you know, in terms, I don't know if everybody knows the term black widow. Yes, I think he thought that's what Tamar was. 
can't give another son to her because next one's gonna die but let me get to the crux of the story Judah and Tamar obviously crossed paths again after Judah joined her as a widow and um, Tamar disguised herself I'm going very quickly through it in Genesis 38 verse 13 to 19 and she tricked him into um, sleeping with her by disguising herself as a prostitute not a very nice story right and as women we'd probably say Tamar what were you thinking I'm gonna say a lot of my mom says today my mom said you see that finger is pointing at somebody else I say to my grandkids four are pointing back at you because my thumb always bends this way need I say more and when Judah heard of Tamar's pregnancy so now how many of us know that pregnancy <laughs> doesn't show by a man right it shows by the woman yeah. yes and the woman is always the one that is and they, he, he, when he heard of it he ordered her to be put to death but Tamar sent a message to him because when this I don't know call it let me call it uh, fornication because that's what it is when that happened she had a vision and knew because of the customs that they had been bound by um, in those days that um, when you are pronounced a widow you either have to marry the next son or the next uh, if that one dies you need to uh, marry the next one and then because um, Sheila was too young he because Sheila was too young Judah said to her you have to wait for Sheila to grow up then he will be able to become knowing you know back at the ranch back in his mind I'm not going to give you my son because I'm scared for you you black widow I'm not he knew that he wasn't he was he was deceiving her but he'd left his seal his cord and his staff with her because he was going to pay her with a goat so it was sort of like his credit card have my credit card when I come back I'll give you my goat and then I can have my credit cards back but this did not happen because when he sent out this wayward Canaanite friend of his, Hira, he couldn't find this. In some versions, they call her a cult prostitute. Others call her a temple prostitute. Couldn't find her. And of course, she'd already known what her plan was. Today, I didn't know what to call my, you know, I'm not one with words. Um, I can talk a lot, yes, but um, that's when I'm one-on-one. -on -one. And when I was in the presence of God, I asked him, Lord, what would you want me to title this message? And I went through things like Lady in Red. <laughs> yes, I've got red on. I love the color red because it reminds me of the blood of Jesus. It reminds me of the, the, the miracle of the scarlet thread. 
and it always reminds me of his, his blood. Yeah. And as I was, I was reminded of the time when I'm in a secular, when I was in a secular position, right now I am probably still, but when in the corporate world. And this term in IT came up and all of you would probably know about it, fit for purpose. Yeah. Something that is fit for purpose does what it is meant to do. For example, if, if they bring somebody into the company and there's something not working, then they'll say, he was brought in to make sure that the company accounting system were fit for purpose. I'm not going to read you the entire uh, Genesis 37 and 38, but I just want to tell you the thread between 30, not even 37, from creation, that, I, that uh, creation of man that I just um, quoted in, in, in chapter 2, well, chapter 1 as well. But I just want to take you through the thread. And I'm going to do it very fast. Okay, so go and listen to the part B, please, if you want to get this. And this I got from um, research where I was looking uh, around saying, Lord, what is the exegesis of this story? So I came across some German, I'm not going to say his name. He's a dean and lecturer of the Old Testament and Biblical Hebrew at some theological seminar in Rhineland. It's a German person. He is H.G. Wunsch. If you want, I don't know if I'm saying it right, it might be Wunsch. Ellie will come tell me how to say it when she comes back. Genesis 38 is often viewed as a disruption of Joseph's story, which was, for some unknown reason, found its way into that narrative. The article that he wrote shows that the placement of Genesis 38 is intentional. Nothing in the Word of God is by accident. Yeah. With many connections to surrounding chapters, these connections are. Sorry, so now that got there. They made through the repetition of words. Greens and Bevan tells us this over and over when they teach us. Even Clint, when there's a repetition of words, it's not there by chance. Yeah as well as through the repetition of motives. They connect Genesis 38, not only to Genesis 37 and 39, but also to Genesis 47 and 48, together with the preceding chapter. Genesis 38 builds a double exposition for the following chapters. The question behind these chapters is, and I think today we have the same, which of the sons of Jacob will take over the right of primogenitor? Primogeniture is the state of being the firstborn child, the right to, of succession, belonging to the firstborn child, especially when there's feuds that arise, um, by which the whole real estate of the father is passed on to the elder son. So we know Joseph is, is, is Jacob's firstborn from Rachel, right? He's loved, the wife he loved, whom he loved. And in this respect, Genesis 38 shows how Judah began to transform from this egocentric person willing to sell his brother Joseph into slavery, into someone willing to become a slave in place of his brother Benjamin. We know that story, right? Yeah. 
And this transformation actually qualifies Judah to become the leader amongst the brothers, while Joseph would receive the double portion as his right of being the firstborn of Rachel. Now, like I said, the story of Judah and Tamar is not a beautiful story. You know, it's one of those stories where it's hanging out the dirty laundry, the dirty laundry that nobody loves to see because for the viewers, it's embarrassing. Yeah. As well, it's as it's embarrassing for the ones that hang it out. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we know what that saying means, right? doesn't really relate to real dirty laundry. But um, in those days, it was very much um, sort of and thought of that it's a man's world. You know that song of James Brown? This is a man's world. <laughs> Sorry, I think in music. <laughs> but um, very, very um, often um, this um, theologian says it was um, thought that this, you know, the, the book of genealogies, which is generations, uh, generations, sorry, which is um, Genesis. That's why the first few letters of Genesis and genealogy is G-E-N-E, -E, right? They've always uh, seemed to think that the genea from a genealogical let me get this word right genealogical perspective that it seems to be a story of a male dominance. But if we look at the stories between these de genealogies, a different reality becomes clear. Because remembering that, um, let's look at from the beginning, it was Adam, then after Adam, it was Noah, and then after. Noah, it was his sons, and then in between was Abram. I won't probably get this right, but all those names we know of, right? Yeah. And we know those are part of the genealogy of Jesus, his lineage, right? And very quickly it becomes clear that the close relationship between genealogies and story texts that women play an important, a very important role in the genealogical systems and had the same good and bad sides as the men had. Yeah. It's especially true for Abram. We know what happened before Sarah could conceive. Sarah said to him, go to Hagar. Sarah told him to go to Hagar. Yeah. Same where Jacob, um, where Isaac is betrayed by Rebekah, his first wife. Remember he had Rebecca, then had to work another seven years, then got the love of his life. Yeah. And he's betrayed by Rebecca, his wife. Jacob is coaxed by his wives, Leah and Rachel, into sleeping with their respective maidservants, Zopah and Bilhah. And while Judah has now been manipulated by Tamar. But let's not point a finger at Tamar right now. Okay. Who is Tamar? <coughs> the literal translation of Tamar's name is palm tree. Now when I think of a palm tree, I think of that place you went to the other day. 
Yeah, there's probably palm trees there, right? And they're all tall and they all look over, right? So I went and looked and I said, let me see what the properties of these palm trees are. Palm trees often evoke thoughts of lying in a hammock to rest and momentarily escape from the harsh realities of this world. This means palm trees are peaceful, right? So I can just imagine Tama being this peaceful person. Okay? Palm trees are flexible. They have fewer branches and can often withstand heavy winds. What does that mean? They're resilient. They'll be swayed over by the wind, but they'll come back up and stand up tall and straight. The outside of the palm tree is comprised of the same material as what is on the inside. Most trees have a bark on the outer layer, but not a palm tree. What you see on the outside is what you get. What does that say about Tamil? Because her name was palm tree, right? And in those days, I'm certain your name was given to you befitting of your characteristics. Yeah. This means palm trees are authentic. Now, however shocking and uncomfortable the story might be, God had a purpose for this being in his word. And from Tamar's situation, there are lessons to be learned. So I want to go into that. So we know um, he was, she was married to a, um, then she got married to Onan. And both these brothers were wicked. I don't know about Sheila, I don't see an account about him, but the Lord put to death both Ur and Onan. And that's in Genesis 38 verse 7 where um, it says, But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Now in the Leveret marriage, there's a common practice in ancient time. There was a common practice. Now today we don't have that. Thank goodness, Lord. Thank you. And we don't have that. The brother-in-law would be required to take the to uh, uh, to father an heir with the siblings was widow, so he couldn't carry their name and ensure the inheritance from them for the for them uh, and ensure the inheritance for them after they died. So that's in Deuteronomy 25 verse 5. It says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger, her brother's husband. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take his wife and perform the duty of the husband's brother to her. It became Onan's responsibility, but Onan did not want to, for selfish reasons, obviously, because the inheritance would have been split into in a certain percentage in our day language to them. But he wanted his full, his full half portion if I want to call it that and what he did was was wicked in the sight of the Lord because he then did not he'd go into Tamar and he'd not um, um, he'd, he'd waste his seed and this happened twice and then after that Judah then um, um, says to her and he releases her and he uh, refused um, um, 
to, to have her marry his son, told her to remain a widow in her father's house till Sheila grows up, for he feared that he would die. The, the word of God says that. For he feared that he would die like his, like his brothers. And although we know that God had taken the lives of the two brothers because of their wickedness, this is not what Judah thought. So he was not intending to give her to Sheila. And um, according to the Eastern custom of those days, um, from the Middle Assyrian law, if a man does not have a son over 10 years old, he could perform the leveret marriage obligation. And if he chooses not to, the woman is then declared a widow free to marry again. So you can imagine Tamar could not marry again because this was not performed. And because of his, his uh, uh, of, of being afraid of losing another son, he did not want it. It was for selfish reasons. He did not want Tamar to go and live a life. And you can read about that in Genesis 38 verse 11. Um, he had no intention, of course. But Tamar had one up on him because she was still tracking him as, um, as the daughter-in-law. And um, the rest is where she went to go sit at the, at the gate of um, the temple, which is called Enahim. Ironically, <laughs> Enahim means literally eye-opener. Judah's eyes were really not open at that point in time when he, when he went in to, to, to have um, um, to, to, to um, buy, sort of buy um, Tamar. So he did not recognize her and Tamar's plan was simple. She covered herself with a veil, which, is what, which was not custom for prostitutes to do in those days. She covered herself with a veil to disguise herself so that he could not recognize her. She had chosen that spot intentionally. Judah's veil, uh, Judah will, passes by after the sheep shearing. And apparently this is, um, when I read up on it, this is like a whole festival um, where there's drinking and partying taking place, where the sheep shearing takes place. And when he came back, probably drunk and happy after he was with his Canaanite friend, and you'll know why I'm calling um, out the Canaanites today, um, he doesn't recognize her and then she propositions him and of course they uh, get into um, let's call it bed together sorry today is one of those days I don't want to use the the the, 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 the real word for it but they get into bed together and um, after this she goes home and you can't find her and the and the story you know right when Tamer gave birth it was an account the same as when um, Jacob and Esau were born. Is it Jacob and Esau? Yes. Right? So what happened was um, she bore twins. So big ups to the mums that have born children and have twins because you are strong women. You are strong women. The boys were named Perez and Zira. 
So if I had to just take Perez, which means breach or breakthrough, Zira means glowing dawn, and if we put the two names, uh, meaning of the names in the order of the scarlet thread that was placed on Zira's hand to identify him as the firstborn, before that um, miracle happened where he went right back into the womb and Perez then came out first. I would say that it was to a palm tree a glowing dawn and breakthrough were born. So it has this, I said to you, it has the similarities to, uh, to the delivery of Rebecca's twin boys when they were born. Jacob emerged holding his brother's heel. Perez one-ups him. He goes back into the womb and, um, uh, not Perez, um, well Perez one-ups him by Zima, going, Zira going back into the womb and Perez coming out. When we come back to fit for purpose, what has the story got to do with Jesus? Tamar fits into the genealogy of Jesus. The same line as King David. Through the twin sons she bore with Judah. Judah's father was Jacob. Jacob's father was Isaac. Isaac's father was Abraham. Matthew 1 was one, two, three. It says Abram was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, and it goes on and it goes on and we get eventually to Boaz. Tamar in the Bible was assertive and she was unconventional. She was also interestingly very loyal to the family of Judah. Because why would I, after you put me aside, want to still have anything to do with you these days, isn't it? Yeah. You'd want to say, I don't even want to use the words that sometimes people use, but you'd say, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. She didn't. Why? Because she was... She was loyal to the family and she really, really, honestly, in a Canaanite corrupt ways, she wanted to, 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 to fulfill the, 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 the law that was the, in those days um, set out. And interestingly, these similar qualities are also demonstrated in Ruth. We all know the story of Ruth, the Moabite which appears later in the lineage of Perez and preserves Boaz as part of the line. You can find that in Ruth 4 verse 12, it says, And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And the similarities of Ruth and Tamar in the Bible include their trail of assertiveness, unconventionality. We can all agree this is an unconventional story. What do we learn from the story? Tamer reveals the redemptive and compassionate heart of God. God doesn't have favorites. And I said it the other day, I'm glad Jesus died for me. Because nobody else would have done what he did for me. Yeah. Jesus came to save 
not one, but he came to save us all. And our sinfulness is never, 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 never. There's no surprises to God. Yeah. Our sinfulness is never a surprise to God. <clears throat> so when I was re reading this and I came before the Lord and I said, Lord, help me never to point a finger at somebody else. I looked at the story and I thought, what incest is going on here? Because, do you know what? Jesus loves us regardless of our dysfunctional lineages. Yeah. He loves us regardless of our dysfunctional messes. Yeah. Amen. And if you want to look at a mess today, I'm the chief. I'm the chief of a mess. But God turned my mess into a message. Amen. I looked this morning, you know, um, when, 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 um, when they, I wanted to know how young were ladies when they were given in marriage. And I saw that it was at the time of puberty, which was roughly from the age of 12 in the Bible. So in those days, it was fine to give ladies in marriage so can you imagine Tamar at the age of 12 probably a beautiful tall lady um, because I'm just imagining a palm tree okay um, and then she had to be given in marriage to this wicked man oh uh, and then after that even more wicked his brother Onan and then not be taken into account for the fact that she had left everything and come back to a family that did not really respect her. You see, even though we have messes in our lives, the consequences are painful. But Christ's love remains pure. Yeah. And when Clint came up this morning and said, we must say, I love you, Jesus. I could say it from the bottom of my heart because I know at the age of 12, something really bad had happened in my life. A mess. But today, God has turned it into a message. Amen. What we learn, confession and repentance are what God wants. He knows we're sinful, but He wants us to be above that nature. And He wants us to choose the better way, which is Him. When we do something wrong, let's remember that He said in 1 John verse 9, 1, 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. Yeah. God cares about widows. Yeah. Amen. He cares about widows. He cared about Tamar. He was outraged at what Judah was doing to Tamar. And how she was treated. Doesn't that tell us volumes of our God? Yeah. Women, God cares about you. Men, 
God cares about you. In the same vein, that story of Judah and Tamar shows us this. What happened to Tamar was injustice. She was mistreated and the death of her first two husbands, Ern Onan, was not her fault. Instead of showing her respect and caring for her properly, Judah chose to keep his third son and send her away. And in do doing so, he denied Tamar a life and a future. God allowed her to achieve triumph over the situation, not only because it helped transform Judah. What did we say in the beginning? He created woman to be... I want to see if you listen. He created woman to be... Isn't this helping Judah? I'm going to get to the word helper quickly. I want to just be very quick now. God allowed her to achieve, to achieve triumph over the situation, not only because it helped transform Judah, Judah's moral character, but because God cares about women and doesn't want women to be treated poorly. I listened to, and I want ladies, men as well. Go and listen to The Power of Woman by Miles Monroe. I listened to it. And my takeaway from there was many things. One of them being a woman, a man, sorry, a man who loves God's presence will not treat a woman badly. Yeah. Amen. Redemption is possible for everyone. None of us are ever too far gone for redemption. Judah found his way back to God after going astray. And so did his father, Jacob. And so did his, 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 his future great-great-grandson, David. We know the story of David. Remember, God makes all things good. Romans 8, verse 28, we love to, we love to, to quote it. The one thing that stuck for me is number seven of my points out of breach of promise out of breach of promise came promise Tamar is ultimately responsible for the continuation of the family line her risk could have backfired but it did not and because of it she is part of the lineage of the Messiah and one of the few women mentioned in, in Jesus genealogy Women, don't let the men in your life avoid or hide from their responsibilities. Let's go back to Genesis 2. God calls us their Ezers, the helpmeet, the one who supports them, the one who is their cheerleader, the one who is their rescuer. And on occasion, we need to rescue our men from themselves. Our purpose is to help our men to lead. We don't do this by nagging or prophesying like Miles Monroe says. Yeah. Or usurping their place in the home. But it's rather by encouraging them in the responsibility and authority and praying for them. Don't take on their responsibilities. Yeah. Hold them accountable. 
Number nine, and I'll get to last ones. Don't hide the uncomfortable and ugly stories. Don't. Let's learn from them. We'd like to skim over this account and not have it in public view. But you know what? He put it there for our instruction. God is marked by holiness and grace. You see, corruption begins when we distance ourselves from God and His people. We know the account of Judah. Judah went outside. He, he had the audacity to go look for wives for his sons. Yet he didn't let his father do it with him. He went out himself and looked for a wife. And we know the truth about the fact that he had this uh, friend called Hira that did everything for him. And probably he said, ah, I don't want to live a boring life. And you know, like we teenagers, I know when I was a teenager, I'd say my parents got saved at a very young age. Um, I was very young at that time. And I think, what's the safe thing? with my parents. They want us to be in church all the time. If we're not in church, we're in a prayer meeting. If we're not in a prayer meeting. What is this with them? Hmm? Most of our kids are like that at school. But as women, I want us to remind ourselves of our purpose. We have an awesome purpose that God gave us. He called us helpers. Not only to our husbands, but to our children, we need to be those support. To our children, we need to be the ones that show them the secret place of God. Your child will not know the secret place of God if you do not lead them and you tell them, come with me. Let's get into the presence of God. You see, because when God made man, He said, I'm putting you in the garden of Eden where my presence is. A garden where it's a sanctuary. You heard the word sanctity. We know the word sanctification. What is that? We've been chosen and we've been called to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood a holy nation that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and he's translated us into his dear light through whom through his son jesus christ you see and I'm far past this and probably the teenagers will point a finger at me right now and those who are unmarried will say, yeah, but you're married already. You've got your husband, you've got your kids, you've got your grandkids. But today I want to say to you, if I'd had to do it differently, I would have. If I had to do it this way, you see, because when God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden, his presence was there. He said to Adam, work it and keep it. Keeping it, we heard, to care for it, to guard it and keep it. Those of you that do not have 
your, your lifelong partner yet, it is important that you pray. Pray, 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 pray. Don't be one that goes outside of God's people. An illustration that I have so clear in my mind from my childhood is, and when I just became born again, which was at the age of 16, highly pregnant, at the age of 15, highly pregnant. I'm sure everybody of you has already calculated when you see my son Kenley, how old he is, he's 39, same age as, as, as Bevan. I'm only 55, you can calculate that. But at that tender age, God saw it fit to meet me. And I tell you, the first verse that I was taught in youth that time with Zion was be not unequally yoked with the unbeliever. Now, I can't get onto this chair, but this was the illustration. I don't want to get on the chair. The illustration was the girl would stand on the chair and the boy would stand at the bottom and they'd say to the girl pull that boy up onto the chair it's an impossibility because it's easier for that boy to pull you down off that chair the same I want to say to you young ladies don't 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 go and look for a man outside of God's presence. Don't go and look for a man outside of God's presence. You see, the first word you shouldn't be asking a man when, you, when he proposes to you is, do you love me? That's what Miles Monroe says. You need to ask him, do you love the presence of God? Do you love God? The next question. Do you work? Come on. Let's be honest. You have to say, do you work? And you know my mom, sorry. I'm going to, my mom, yo, there's no gray area with my mom. I'm sure you've, 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 many of you have, have, have met her. She doesn't stand like this. That lady is a lady that walks like this. There is no gray area with her. It's either black or it's white. You are, you either hot or you cold. We had a song playing in our home when I was little, truly God doesn't want you to be in between. You can rather be hot, you can rather be cold, but not in between. You see, you have to ask him, do you work? Because my mom said, even if he doesn't work in a job formally, but if you can see that his mom's home, he works the garden. If you see that he's at his mom's home, he tidies up his room. Or if you see that at his mom's home, he fixes things. And these days, washing dishes is not only for ladies, guys. 
Neither is cooking. By the way, I told Beth and I found out there's no way in the Bible that I've seen a lady cook. The men cook. So today, men, go cook for your wives. The next one, part of keeping, remember, is can, can he make you better? A keeper is somebody that is a cultivator. So what is a cultivator? It's somebody that tells the ground and whatever comes out of that, that ground, hey, it's good. You can eat of it. Before that man touches you, you ask him, can you make me better? I don't even want to go into the story of dowry because that will be a long story. Guys, you will hit me for that. <laughs> Sorry. Men were called to stay in his presence, cultivate his presence, protect his presence. Dear ladies, we have the men in our lives and we're grateful to God for them. We have an obligation to pray for them, to be their helper, their cheerleader, to be their support, to pray for them. Whilst you don't have a man in your life, seek one that will know his purpose is to love God with all his heart because all other commandments he will then follow. Corruption comes when there's conformity to a corrupt culture. Now we know the Canaanites, you, there's not a nice picture painted of them in the Bible. You, Lord, help us. But, like I said, you know when, uh, 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 I'll use Jimmy Swaggart, shame, sorry. But when Jimmy Swaggart fell in sin, what did we say? Ooh, yo. I mean, when Ravi Zacharias, we heard after his death, you, yo, Lord. And then we think to ourselves, I couldn't even fall into that kind of sin. What is that? It's pride. Because we don't know our own hearts if we say that. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Say to Zoe in the week, you know what I want to do? You know like the Catholic priests do when they, I don't know, anybody that comes out of a Catholic environment, there's a prayer that's, that goes in penitence we confess, but when they're doing it, they do this. That's how I felt. That's how I felt this week. And I had to get to the place where I said, Lord, what is your purpose? And am I fit for purpose? This morning I ask you, let's stand up. And let's look to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who came and did not even, did not even think a second chance. Don't even think that in the Garden of Gethsemane he was doubting his 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 um, his purpose. Don't even think that, because it wasn't so. It wasn't so. He would have died for us anyway. Doesn't matter whichever way. 
He made himself of no reputation. Can you imagine that the king of glory, the king of kings, came through a lineage that was full of errors? We know it. I mean, we can talk about Tamar this morning, but we can also talk about Rahab. Yes. He came from imperfection. Why? So that perfection could be our portion. And how? Not in our own strength. Not in our own strength at all. This morning, if there's anybody here that can say, I don't need Jesus, then I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for the fact that you are still oblivious of what this King of Kings came to do. He made himself 